Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Aurora. Good evening, Aurora. And good late afternoon, Aurora. This is our election, um, election live discussion for vote by mail, poll watching, and many other topics. We're here with our partners of the Kane County State's Attorney's Office and also a great panel and lineup this evening. So our guests are Aaron Brady, Assistant State's Attorney, um, Civil Division, and Mr. John Frank, Chief of the Civil Division. Hello there. Mr. John Gaglioni, ex uh, Executive Assistant to the Kane County Clerk, State's Attorney Jamie Mosser, our friend Brian Pollard, Deputy, uh, Deputy Clerk, and Mr. John Dugan, Assistant Chief of Staff, Kane County Clerk's Office. How are all of you wonderful people doing this evening? Great. Good. How are you, Curtis? I'm all right. Thank you very much for asking. We're starting off this year very blessed and motivated, so we're ready to do this. We're ready to inform people. Um, so, State Attorney Monster, please uh, tell us how uh, tonight's discussion fits into the mission of the Kane County State Attorney's Office. Thank you. One of the biggest things that I have promoted throughout my time as the State's Attorney is that I want there always to be transparency in what we do and really be out there for the public to get questions answered. One of the things I've really seen over these last three, three years in my term is that people have a lot of questions about elections. They have questions about who people are that are involved in it, how they can get a complaint lodged if something happens, what would happen if there's a complaint. And we've spent a significant amount of time not only trying to answer these questions for the public, but also really to make sure that this process is done in the best possible way. Elections are important, and we know this. It is important to elect great people into office, but it's important for the public to understand that there are policies and procedures that are in place to protect the integrity of the elections that we have here. And so I am, for probably one of the only presentations that we have with you, Curtis, going to take a back seat to this conversation because these are the experts that you have before you. These are fantastic individuals who have been working on elections for a very long time with the hope of being able to educate our community about what happens. And so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and turn it right back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, State's Attorney Mosser. Uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to put those in the chat. Uh, so the first part of our discussion this evening, we'll be talking about vote by mail. So the question which I'll pose to the entire group, and anyone can join and take it, is what do voters need to know about vote by mail ballots? And I think we'll start, you know, I won't let you guys pick. We'll start with Mr. Frank. Mr. Frank? Um, I guess the kind of the big thing is um, there's a long history that's kind of gone alongside this. It used to be what most people call an absentee ballot. Um, but now it's a situation where you can request uh, to vote by mail. And what's important by that is to make sure that you're not in a situation where you're voting by mail then accidentally also voting the same day. So one of the bigger items is making sure that you sign up, get yourself registered, it'll get sent to you in the mail. Um, I've done it myself. It's a large card. It's very easily readable. Um, you go through that process. They explain you have to match up your signatures. Um, and then send it in and as a part of that I'm sure other people can throw in on some more of that but um, I've personally done it I think it's an important function that allows more people to vote um, and it's something everyone should consider all right all right uh, Mr. Gaglione Ms. Brady you concur. Well, I think it's important to also note that the voters have to request a, a vote by mail ballot it's not just sent out automatically 
and uh, when they fill out their application and submit it to the clerk's office, their registration is verified, and uh, only registered voters in Kane County receive a vote by mail ballot from Kane County. And uh, um, like I said, the registration is, is verified before their ballot is mailed out. Mr. Potter. And when that, uh, so the voter will sign the back of the envelope when, once they complete their ballot. And when that envelope comes back, there's a team of judges, Democrats and Republicans, that verify those signatures to make sure that the signature matches what we have in the voter file. So you have all kinds of procedures to make sure that the person's registered, the signature matches before we even open up that envelope and count that ballot. So we make sure that everything is safe and secure. All right, all right. Um, now, also, vote by mail ballots are not mailed to voters without being requested by a registered voter. Only registered voters in Kane County receive a vote by mail ballot from the Kane County Clerk's Office. And as you mentioned, registration is verified before a ballot is mailed. Um, is this typically something that a lot of people are unfamiliar with? Or um, is it one of the um, you know frequently um, misunderstood aspects of voting? I think it has been misunderstood because, um, <clears throat> like, um, John uh, Frank said that there is a long history of vote by mail called absentee ballot, and they're confused about how this is different. It really is not very different. The main difference is, is it used to be that if you're voting absentee, you had to be out of town. There had to be a stated reason. Now anybody can get vote by mail ballots uh, if they if they are registered and just request it. Uh, so, and I think there's also confusion about something that Mr. Frank mentioned was that uh, they don't want to accidentally send in their vote by mail ballot and <clears throat> go to a polling place to vote in person. We have safeguards against that because uh, when a person goes to the polling place to vote, uh, the uh, election judges can look up their registration and see if there was a vote by mail ballot sent <coughs> to them and, and say to them, well, I'm sorry, you've you've got to vote by mail ballot. Well, I don't want I want to vote in person, so there's a procedure they can go to to deactivate their vote by mail ballot and then vote in person, so that both ballots do not get counted. Only the first one that gets counted. Understood. Thank you for clarifying that, Mr. Gaglione. Uh, next question: How does a voter return their vote by mail ballot? Let's get someone in the class who hasn't talked yet. <laughs> Ellen Brady, hello, Aaron Brady, sure, excuse me, I'm sure. sorry. Um, there are a couple of different ways a voter can return their mail-in ballot. They can choose to place it in the mail just as, as they did, did receive it. Um, but if they do that, it's important to note that they've got to have it postmarked by 7 p.m. on election day. So if you receive it, it's probably a good idea to get it sent back um, as quickly as you can. I believe the clerk's office has a function or there is a function to let voters know once their vote has been, their return vote has been received. Um, and is being processed, so you've got that assurance knowing on the other end that it's been received. Um, if you don't want to mail it, you can also put it in one of the drop boxes that are located either at the county clerk's office in Geneva, 719 South Batavia Avenue, um, in the main lobby of Elgin City Hall, and inside the satellite office of the Kane County Clerk's Office in Aurora. Um, and they can also come into the clerk's office in Geneva and hand deliver it to the election service counter that's there once you walk through the door in the lobby. At the polling sites, can you drop it off to them too? On election day? Yes. On election day, you've got to either surrender your 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 ballot or those procedures that John was talking about. Um, they will not accept it as you would in those three processes, such that it's counted. 
Um, so if you're going to intend to return your vote by mail and have that be the ballot that's counted, you should do it one of those three ways. On election day, you can drop it off at a drop box, if, you know, with the four drop boxes that were mentioned. Or you can put it in the post, you know, on election day, up to 7 o'clock. Just make sure if you're mailing on election day, you, you get post office early, so it's postmarked. And as Aaron referred to the tracking, we do have a tracking system that, through the clerk's office. If you go on our website, um, there's a spot to sign up for the, the tracking, so you get an email or text um, when your ballot sent out, and then when it's received back to the clerk's office. Plus, there's the um, there's a way to track it from the post office and everything like that. So we know uh, when it was sent out, and then so do you, and then we know when it comes back, and then so do you as well. All right, and the satellite office for the clerk, or excuse me, uh, the satellite clerk's office is downtown Aurora on Downer Place. Right. Um, for folks, it's right next to the GAR, and our wonderful listeners know both of those great locations. Uh, okay, so the time is uh, 6.08 p.m. The next question is, what if a vote-by-mail ballot is lost, damaged, or a mistake is made when filing, uh, excuse me, when filling in the vote-by-mail uh, ballot? What must a voter do? Well, the voter um, has to bring their damaged or misvoted ballot. Uh, you know, for example, they may have made a mistake on their ballot and realized that's not who I wanted to vote for. <clears throat> they can bring it into the clerk's office or to a polling place, uh, but they have to spoil that ballot, and at that time, they have to vote the person. They cannot get a second vote-by-mail ballot. What does it mean to spoil the ballot? Well, to Excellent spoil a ballot... Because I've spoiled my children, I don't think it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Less possible. <laughs> what, what, spoiling, what spoiling the ballot means is that the before they turn it in, the voter has to write in their own hand let's say, for example, this is a ballot, they've got to write spoiled across here very boldly so that we know on both sides, so that we know that that is an invalid ballot. It is not to be counted in any certain circumstance. Same principle as voiding a check, almost. Very much. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't uh, think some listeners know what a check is anymore, Curtis. So <laughs> <laughs> we got to think of a better example. <laughs> yeah, You're, you, are, you are right. Now, they're, uh, now it's Apple Pay. Um, okay, so this first, now once again, this first section here was about vote by mail. Um, the time is 6.09 p.m. Thank you everyone for joining us. Now we're going to talk about voter rights. Voter rights. Uh, so our very first question uh, about voter rights is, how does an individual become qualified to vote in an election? Who would like to take that? Hi, Aaron. <laughs> I can speak a little bit to that. So you've got to be 18 years old on election day in order to vote. If you're turning 18, um, you know, in advance of election day, you still can register to vote, um, but you need to uh, be a resident of the precinct that you're going to be voting in for the past 30 days. And there are a number of ways to register with the clerk's office. You can do it either online. You can do it in person at the Kane County Clerk's Office. Um, at a driver's license facility that's offered by the state um, with a deputy registrar. Sometimes there are in-person events to register voters, um, or you can do it by mail. All right, all right. You now, be careful about those deadlines in terms of registration. So if you're going to register with a deputy registrar at the clerk's office, the registration closes 30 days in advance. Uh, you can still register online through the uh, Secretary of State's portal. Um, that goes through about two weeks before the election. And then uh, you can also register and vote at the same time through grace period registration or even on election day. Yeah. 
just different rules for different times. Yeah. And I will say, as somebody who came to Illinois more recently, when I had to register on the on online process, it was actually pretty simple and straightforward. Um, and I would say that's almost the easiest way to do it. Seems like a lot of people do think um, that it's more complicated than it actually is. Seems like that's always been a common common thing. Yeah, I think I've, I did it in probably all about five minutes. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty relatively straightforward and simple process. The state has made a number of changes to the election laws in the last couple of years, including um, the same day registration that Brian was just talking about. I think that's really helped voters who may have been confused about their polling place or their registration um, get their votes in and make sure that they've, they've got that taken care of. But I, it's good to do it as soon as you possibly can, not wait till the election day to do it, but if, if necessary, if there's an emergency, you can. Right. Now, Brian, you did mention, uh, I think I heard you say, uh, grace period registration. Could mm -hmm. you explain in detail that a little bit more, please? So that 30-day, um, 30 days out is the end of what we used to call traditional registration. So in the old days, before all these new laws, you had to be registered 30 days before the election. That was it. You weren't registered, you didn't vote in the election. Um, so, and, and over time, they've, they've made some changes. Grace period means, okay, so we're past 30 days, uh, we're inside 30 days, I should say, and I didn't register to vote, or I moved. Um, I can register through what we call grace period registration, but through grace period, you have to register and be prepared to vote at the same time. So if it's right after that 30 days, uh, there's early voting at the clerk's office, 40 days out, so you can come to Geneva or Aurora and register and vote at the same time. Or then if you're in that 14 day period where we have all those polling places open for early voting, you can go to one of those and do it as well. You just have to make sure you're voting at the same time registering. All right, time is 6.12 p.m. Once again, this is our Facebook Live discussion with our partners of the Kane County State's Attorney's Office talking about Illinois election law and uh, just to reiterate uh, one more time residents may register online in person online in person at the Kane County Clerk's office excuse me at a driver's license facility with deputy registrars or via mail next question is good evening Veronica Brambilla Guerrero good to see you uh, what happens if a voter's qualifications are challenged Well, it's certainly not. John, I thought that was going to be you, man. It depends on at what point they're challenged. Okay. Yeah. You know, so so that's the first question. There's there's numerous opportunities, you know, for a vote to be challenged. But let's say it's election day, and and a voter is challenged in that in in, in the polling place. In that instance, the challenge is decided by the election judges in the majority of the election judges that are assigned to that precinct, and the challenge would be, for instance, they're not a registered voter or they've already voted, or uh, they don't live at the place they claim to live at, or they're not the person they claim to be. And in those situations, uh, the election judges make their determination, and if the voter disputes that, they can request and make a provisional ballot, and, if, and then there can be a subsequent determination on that provisional ballot. Is there anything else you want to add to that? No, I don't think so. I mean, anybody can theoretically challenge. Other voters can challenge the person. Poll watchers can challenge, um, or even election judges. Um, and the key is always have two forms of ID. If you have two forms of ID, that will typically allow you to successfully prove who you are. Um, and also, especially if your ID has your location or your actual home address, that will show that you're in the right precinct, you're in the right area, and that's you're voting where you're supposed to be. So, right. those are so if I have a hypothetical, I walk in to vote in the March 19 primary, 
I go up, I give my name, and a, a savvy election judge is like, you don't even look 18. You gotta go with me on this one. Yes. <laughs> wow. Um, so then the election judge denies that. Is there a mechanism then, besides obviously showing my identification to have even assistant state's attorneys come out to assist with this? You're supposed to yeah, well, the, 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 the election judge is the yeah. final arbiter yeah. of okay. the issue. So the state's attorney can consult with them and, mm -hmm. and assist them, but ultimately the election judge makes a determination that has finality subject to the provisional vote that they choose to cast. And to put a finer point on it, the majority of election judges have to agree that the person is Correct. eligible to vote. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's, and I think it's a good point to point out that the state's attorney, we're here to support and help the election judges at all times deal with situations that come up. And so we have uh, calling lines, we have uh, attorneys who will be roaming the county um, to deal with particular situations when they come up. But at the end of the day, the election judge, um, the people who have put themselves out there to support the elections and make sure they're run fairly and honestly, they're the ones who make those final decisions. It's their job to make sure that all decisions are in agreement between the two uh, election judges who are of different parties, um, and so that way we can be sure that there's fair and impartial uh, voting going on. But just in case, they're still given this provisional ballot, yes. which means that it There's always recourse. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and right. the election judges are commissioned by the circuit court, and they represent the circuit court in the polling place. Mm -hmm. and they're not employees of they're, they're not subject to the direction and control of the election authority. They're commissioned by the circuit court. This is a really very real factual situation I put forth. So. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Carry your ID with your younger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, um, um, a few spoke about um, provisional ballots. Who may vote by provisional ballot? Well. Um, Anybody who, who comes in to vote, um, and the election judges have no record of the individual on the, on, on the voting records. Uh, and also, if the voter, vote, voters' um, qualifications to vote are successfully challenged, they still can vote on, by provisional ballot. Uh, and, uh, and also, if a voter comes in, for example, to do the grace period registration, but they don't have to uh, two forms of valid ID, they can still vote by provisional ballot, but but all of their qualifications have to be vetted by the by the election authority before their vote will be counted because their vote will be sequestered until that's accomplished. Right. And, and while there are those are the circumstances where we have provisional ballots, and there's certainly there have been some you know some maybe some miscommunication about what a provisional ballot and when it's used. In general, the main reason that people have them was because they had moved or they didn't, um, or they wanted to register. With same-day registration, that, that's that biggest reason that people used to have them. They don't really need them anymore. So you can have a choice. You could go through a provisional ballot, but if you, let's say I, I moved. I used to live in Elgin, I moved to Aurora, and um, I want to vote where I live now, and I'm still registered up there, I can register and vote at the same time if I have my ID with me. And there's not that need for the provisional ballot. All right. There's another circumstance, and that is if the election records show that the voter has already voted, and that's a situation now. 
each of the voters has a discrete uh, voting registration number, and that's on a barcode in the application for their ballot, uh, for the mail-in votes. Say, for instance, the election records show that they filed a, they've already voted with a mail-in ballot, or if they voted early voting, or if they've done a grace period vote earlier at, a, at say, a different location. And if that's what the records show, and they dispute that they cast that ballot, they can file a provisional ballot, and, and then if necessary, there'll be an inquiry whether or not the application for a ballot was in fact signed by them. That would be the type of inquiry that would be uh, the occasion if the uh, mail-in ballot application was signed by them. That's the back of the envelope that is, is uh, approved by the election judges before a ballot is allowed to be cast, a mail-in ballot is allowed to be cast. All right, thank you for the explanation, Mr. Duggan. Um, next question, we're talking about voter rights. Voters are entitled to ballot secrecy. What does ballot secrecy mean? Pamela Brady, good evening. Mr. Frank, want to take ballot secrecy for us? Sure. So ballot secrecy, I think, is kind of somewhat self-explanatory in the fact that, you know, you go up to cast your vote with no one else around. And the key to this is, you know, election judges will get it set up for you, but at that point they'll step away and you are left with the machine yourself and the, des the design of how you decide you want to vote. Um, poll watchers should not be overlooking what you're doing while you're voting. Other voters should not be overlooking. Um, one of the exceptions that I've done myself is I've brought my children with me at times. Not all of us can, you know, find babysitters um, to go out and vote. And so I've brought them in. Besides, it's also just exciting time for them. And so they can come up to the vote machine with you. They can, you can walk them through it, explain that kind of stuff to them. And then ultimately you make your vote. Um, and so the key part of this is no one else aside from that should be overlooking what you're doing while that's going on. And no one should be communicating with you in a way that prevents you from having privacy while you're voting. And there's another aspect of voter secrecy, and that is once your ballot is cast, no one can ascertain whose ballot it is. When the ballot enters the box, it is anonymous, and your ballot cannot be attached to your vote. And that's been the tradition of the Australian ballot that American elections have followed for 150 years. Yeah, I think the only thing that anyone can even know is whether you voted in yes, the election. Correct. Is that correct? They can yeah. know if you vote, uh, and they can retrieve, it's possible during an inquiry, to retrieve your application or the ballot, but the, that ballot cannot be tied to your vote. But it's also case. true, though, for a primary that the information about whether or not you pulled a Democratic Correct. or a Republican primary is, is in the public released. record. That is right. public right. record, right. but not who you voted for. Correct. Exactly. And by the way, that secrecy, I think it's important for people to understand that secrecy of the ballot is constitutionally guaranteed. That's not just something we like to do. It's constitutionally guaranteed. Thank you for adding that, sir. Um, and if one of the reasons for it is to prevent recrimination for somebody. Right. Right? In, in the Soviet Union, the old saying is that, you know, the commissar would drop uh, white powder on people's ballots and they'd know who it was. Uh, you know, they'd know who you voted for. And they'd be watching above you, and that's not the American tradition. So it sounds like Kane County voters can expect a great process and a 
and a secure process of voting. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That's the objective. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the time is 623. Um, we are moving on to the next part of our great discussion tonight about election judges. Um, now, Good Morning Aurora has been proud to share uh, when we seen the posts and flyers calling for election judges and for folks to get involved in the community. Uh, we'll continue to do that. Let's talk about the responsibilities of election judges. And uh, Ms. Brady, would you take that for us, please? Uh, sure. So election judges are integral to the functioning of a smooth and orderly election day and the days leading up to election day. Um, as, as Mr. Duggan mentioned, they're officers of the court. They're appointed by the circuit court um, as having the authority to make those decisions on election day. Um, they're responsible for all of the election materials and the, the equipment within the polling place. They make sure everything is set up uh, the morning of election day. They're there bright and early, I believe probably five o'clock, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're there all day. They monitor the process. They check in voters. Um, they are responsible for making sure that poll watchers who attend have appropriate credentials. Um, they make sure unauthorized persons stay away from the voting equipment and the election materials and make sure that all of those things are secure and protected. Um, and uh, as I say, they, election day could not function without them and they're very, very important to the work that the clerk's office does and to the elections in general. All right. Now, Erin, at every site, is there a Republican election judge and a Democratic election judge? That's right, at least. And so that's that's um, under the election code um, set up by precinct. And so there may be multiple precincts within one polling place. Mm -hmm. But you will at least see one um, Republican, one Democrat election judge. Um, mm -hmm. One of them is assigned. It's called to be a tech judge. Is that is that right? Um, so you may see may see several in your polling place on election day. Has anyone here been an election judge before? Mr. Gaglione, <laughs> tell us about that experience, sir. Well, when I, when I decided to become an election judge, I felt like it was a, a, a point of pride because you're participating in democracy and you're, you're not an observer, you're intricately involved in the, in the process. And uh, uh, it's a long day, as was mentioned, they start at five so that the polls can open at six. The polls close at seven. They can take a half hour to an hour lunch break. <laughs> and uh, sometimes they don't get out of that polling place until eight, nine o'clock at night, sometimes even later. Uh, we want judges. But my point is, is that it is a uh, it is a job that people do as a point of pride, and uh, it's uh, as as was stated before, it's in, it is a very important function for the uh, smooth and transparent and uh, proper functioning of, of elections in our in our country. All right. Now let's talk about the training that uh, excuse me, <clears throat> election judges receive. Brian, can you tell us about that training? Well, first I want to thank you, Chris. You mentioned that you're reaching out to your audience to help us get judges. We appreciate that. No um, I don't know if you talk about student judges as well. Um, Not familiar. So students that are in high school, uh, junior in high school or older, 16 or 16 or older, um, can apply to be a student judge. And they basically have the same responsibilities as the regular judges, including the pay. Um, so students like that, and um, so there are a couple things you have to go through, um, but uh, we encourage them to apply with our office to do that. Um, 
not just the DAPA school. Um, it's also about you know being involved in government and having that role. And our um, our more experienced judges appreciate having the younger judges to help them too. So right. It's kind of a it's a learning process, and they get involved. Okay. So, Absolutely. And uh, they take the same training as the as every judge. Uh, We've, uh, we have a three-part um, online training course that the judges go through, um, and it learns about, uh, they teach about what happens before the polls open, uh, what happens while the polls are open, and then what happens after the polls close. Uh, there's some, it goes through each course, it's about 40 minutes uh, for each course to go through to uh, answer the questions. Uh, they learn about the process, and then um, there's a short little test after uh, each section. And then there's also a hands-on portion where they come to uh, learn how to use the new equipment. Oh, right. well. I like that. Now we had a uh, Paula Weiser, I hope I uh, pronounced your last name correctly, says that Kane County student judges are fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. I that, see that goes to show the power of community and getting the message out. I'm glad to, glad to hear it. Thank you, Paula. Um, uh, Aaron, did I cut you off from something earlier when Brian was speaking? No. Thought, no? Okay, all right. Uh, Pamela says, where can teenagers get the information to become judges? County Clerk website. Kane County Clerk website. Mm -hmm. Kane County Clerk's office. Okay. Mm -hmm. Kane County Clerk's website and the office at the end of this video will be happy to put the link um, in there. Okay. Now let's talk about the authority election judges have. Um, let's talk. You know what authority do they have? Um, anyone can take this. Well, as has been mentioned twice before, uh, election judges are appointed by the. Uh, Courts of their officers of the court, and they operate with such authority in the polling place to carry out their duties and assure a smooth and orderly election. And uh, um, election judges are authorized to even go as far as to ask disruptive people in the polling place whether they are poll watchers, candidates, voters, visitors, anybody. They can ask them to leave. Uh, and in the if they still don't comply, they are authorized to contact local law enforcement and the state's attorney's office, file an incident report, and have the person removed. That's an extreme situation, and I don't recall us having to have to, have to do that in Kane County, but it, it, can, it can possibly happen. Um, so um, uh, so that, that's, they, they are the authority in the polling place. Uh, the time is the time is 6:29. Thank you guys for watching. Um, Good morning, Aurora, and our election law Facebook Live discussion with our partners of the Kane County State Attorney's Office. I have a question here before we get on to before we get on to poll watchers. Uh, so this show started in COVID, and I'd like to know real quick before we go on: um, Have these topics become more more prevalent, more talked about? And more of a uh, more of many topics of discussion since COVID has happened. Um, this is the very first live I've seen with this type of material. Not to toot our own horn for doing this, but I mean, I you know, it, it seems to be a far more pressing and prevalent issue now. What do you guys think about that? Feel free to share. Well, if you recall, COVID struck during the November of 2020 election. Some of us really recall. Yes, I do. I do too because I caught it the day after I worked in a polling place. Oh, I don't mean COVID. I just mean the whole election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the um, uh, because of that, uh, 
we saw a dramatic, dramatic influx of vote by mail ballots come in. And we had a lot of people concerned about uh, COVID. So we had to take very, uh, I think, pretty dramatic steps to uh, keep the polling place as clean as possible. And uh, uh, aerosol disinfectants, I don't mean just a spray can. I mean, we actually bought machines to go through and, and spray, the, spray the areas down several times a day. I still managed to wind up catching COVID, but uh, I, I think it was because my wife at the time was a school bus driver and she brought it home. <laughs> so, so I, your wife on camera. <laughs> I would also say that yes, it has dramatically increased. And if we just look at federally, people who have denied that elections have been done right or denied the results, issues that have happened, issues that have been done because of operator error, issues that have been done throughout the United States, more people are focusing on this and more people are vocal about it. And in, if I'm being frank about it, not John Frank about it, but if I'm being frank about it, I'm glad that people are doing it so that they can get answers. Right. And there have been a lot of people who have come to county board member or county board meetings to talk about things, to bring issues up so that we can be transparent about it. And that's exactly the way our system should work. And I think that's how we have the greatest democracy because we can challenge things, we can get answers to them, but we're still doing what we're doing in electing people. And so this was an important topic for us to bring up in this partnership with the county clerk's office so that we can get these answers out there. Right. And one of the things that really exploded from COVID and beyond is the use of vote by mail ballots. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there were so many people that did them in 2020 and maybe an anomaly at this point, but there's more of an interest in them. Okay, all these people voted. Uh, how they vote? Uh, was my vote counted? How did they count these and, and the results? Because elections um, outcomes uh, changed. I, I don't want to say they changed, but I mean the, 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 the number of votes, the way that people voted changed. Mm -hmm. And people were, you saw, we saw more voting prior to election day than on election day. And so it's just getting used to different methods. And so those questions are still being asked. Um, our office has given presentations like this, but also with community groups, organizations, political parties on, on how the vote by mail process works, all these issues. So the nice thing is the more we talk about it, people that are skeptical, if you, if you go to them and you explain it, okay, I guess that makes sense. Or they come to the office and they see how everything works. Oh, okay, I get it, that makes sense. And, I, and I've actually seen where people have asked us questions and it's caused us to take a closer look at what we're doing and go, you know, maybe we can improve on this. And we have changed some of our practices because of that. Our, our, the King County Election Authority does not make up the rules, so I might stress that. Okay. We are strictly subject and subordinate to the election code. And we have to follow all of the procedures of the election code. And one of the things I think that will make a dramatic change in our voting patterns and our demographics of voting is permanent vote by mail. There's an election that a voter can make that they will continue to get their ballots for each election by mail uh, and, and that will prevail until they either move or request to have their vote by mail terminated. Mm -hmm. So as, as the vote by mail increases, it will change the it will change the voting process and the practices of voting, especially in the consolidated elections where turnout was low. People will be getting their ballots automatically, and about 90% of the people 
tend to vote the vote by mail ballots when they receive it. We always have a few people who don't. Um, but uh, the amount of people getting vote by mail ballots usually will exceed the amount of consolidated, the percentage of people who voted in consolidated elections in prior elections. Like Aurora, where you're from, we had very low voting turnout on consolidated elections. And those are the spring elections in off years uh, where school boards are elected, uh, park districts, uh, library boards, except you know the sanitary district elections. Um, you know, so those voting patterns will change significantly with permanent vote by mail. Yes, we uh, thank you for mentioning that. We've talked about how dismal uh, our turnout has been, unfortunately, in Aurora. And as you people know who watch the show and tune in every single morning. We look to increase that. We need your help and participation in keeping this the greatest democracy on earth. Thank you for that well, one, wonderful one, plug. One thing about Aurora, and I've, I've been an Aurora resident since 1976, and they vote robustly in general elections. They just they just can't motivate them to vote in the consolidated elections. Maybe it's, you know, in the old days, people had, had to work on election day, and, and it didn't seem as available as, as, as important. With the permanent vote by mail, I've, our experience has been that the voting percentages go up dramatically. They'll continue to go up, and it may change the, the voting patterns on those elections. Time is 6.36 p.m. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, thank you uh, for putting the link in the chat for becoming an election judge. Paula, we appreciate that very much. Caitlin Vargas, good evening to you. Next, poll watchers. Who are poll watchers? State's Attorney Mosser. Oh, sheesh. Well, <laughs> thankfully somebody wrote it down. Um, they are registered Illinois voters who are either affiliated with a candidate, election, organization, or political party who are allowed access to uh, the polling place on election day to observe voting procedures. And so these are individuals who come in, they have credentials, they say I'm affiliated with this candidate or this party, and then they watch and they make sure that our election process is being followed. Now obviously the amount of people that are there can be limited based on spacing considerations. Um, they can't be disruptive. And for the most part, we've seen a great working relationship between our election judges and our poll watchers because this is how we have checks and balances right. in our world. Right. Poll watchers are there to make sure that election judges do it right. Election judges are there to make sure the process is done right. And so um, they are there, they can participate in watching, but they cannot obstruct the process in any way. Now, their, their function as observers was not the original historical purpose of poll watchers. Initially... It was not written on my paper. Oh, well, I'll... I'll Enlighten us. Enlighten us, please. Originally, <laughs> poll watchers were party officials, and they were to monitor the voting turnout of their voters. And so the, each voter would be announced. They'd have their party list. And if it got towards the end of the polling and Mrs. Jones hadn't voted, they'd send somebody over to Mrs. Jones's house and say, Mrs. Jones, you have to get down to the polls. Mm. And, and so that was the original function of the poll watchers. By the way, the Illinois State Board of Elections has a document that they publish. It's on their website. It's called the Poll Watcher's Guide, and it contains kind of a junior woodchuck handbook as to what the rights, responsibilities, duties uh, of poll watchers are. So uh, they do have a supervisory function. They're entitled to observe that. Uh, 
there, there's numerous opportunities for poll watchers to participate. For instance, uh, every day the vote by mail ballots uh, are received and they are reviewed by election judges. They're entitled to observe that. They're entitled to be at every polling place that's conducting early voting. So there's 40 days out. They're entitled to be there for the grace period voting and the and the and they're entitled to be there on election day. So and they represent both parties as well. Well, they represent one party, not both parties. Well, each each poll each poll watcher would represent the party for whom he is he or she is credentialed. So the, the, in order to be a valid poll watcher, they have to be credentialed, and they get their credential by getting making a request to a candidate or to a party or to a political organization, and then the election authority issues a credential based on the application that's been approved by the candidate or the party. You know, they just can't show up and say, I want to be a poll watcher. Right. So their credentials then are received by the ele election judges, they're verified, they're maintained by the election judges in their uh, election authority materials, and then they can participate as an election judge on either election day or early voting as the case might be. You cannot participate as an election judge you're as, a watcher. as a poll watcher. I'm sorry, as a poll watcher. I'm yes. sorry. Yes, I did just speak. Thank yeah. you, John. All right. See, he's um, my poll watcher. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, next is electioneering. How far back must candidates or representatives of candidates remain from polling places? And electioneering has a great number of, uh, of fun fun pieces of information. Yes, State Attorney Monster. 100 feet. Ding, ding, ding. And All you know right. what's important to note, me as a candidate, I cannot walk in there with my political shirt on because that would be electioneering. And I should be removed if that was something that I tried to do. I cannot be within 100 feet with a sign trying to do things like that. This is important to do because people deserve to go in and deserve not to be pressured as they're about to do their constitutional right to vote. I like that. You'll see, I, really I know do. the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you'll see a cone outside of a polling place that's, yes. that's marking off that 100 feet so that people know this is the zone where you can't engage in activity. Right. I've never seen a person, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, I was just going to say, and sometimes depending on the structure of the building and where the polling place is within the building, you might see those cones yet inside the main entrance to the building. So something to keep an eye out for is every place may be different, yep. but there should be a... There's even some Good there. to know, good to know. There's even some areas where if it's like a church or a private entity, they can make the entire location um, be within that 100 foot feet, essentially, where it's a full sanctity. So the signs for that will actually be Know, made clear to everybody so yeah. um, it just depends on where you actually vote. I like that I like that okay um, can I discuss candidates with others while waiting in line to vote no, no. no. not within the hundred feet <laughs> yeah. um, can the protected zone be further than a hundred feet it can be an entire grounds of a church or private school yes all right um, outside the 100 protected zone can a candidate representative get my way to talk to me obviously not when trying to proceed into the polling place no a candidate can say hey can I talk to you before you go in but if you say no that candidate should stop that candidate shouldn't be trying to prevent you from going in there they should allow you to go in but they can certainly say I'd like to give you information about me before you go in and vote and it's up to you to choose to take it or not. now if you are if, if one does not want to engage mm -hmm. 
how do I report that? So first, there are the election and judges inside. That's the first line of reporting that you can do. And okay. then there's also election hotlines that we're gonna discuss, I believe, in the next category. Okay, all right, good to know. Um, did you have anything, Ms. Brady? Um, something else to add a fun fact. Um, aside from fun a church or private uh -huh. school, churches or private schools who register to be polling places on election day, they are off limits for um, electioneering at all. However, property that has elected to be a polling place on an election day outside that 100 foot zone the rest of it is considered a free speech area so candidates may be there you'll oftentimes see right up on the edge of a property a ton of uh, campaign signs on election day and those are allowed to be there as long as they're not impeding anyone's safety or the sight lines of the road or anything like that those are allowed to be there I've seen that, mm -hmm. that that whole jumble of stuff, yeah. and it's like they're, they're all just in that one little square of land. Like, wow, that's just amazing. Yeah, the efficacy of that is yeah. <laughs> very questionable. Right. And I wasn't sure who I was going to vote for, but I said a thousand signs. Yeah. If I could just see one more political ad or one more time, I might be able to make my mind right. up. <laughs> okay, um, so the time is uh, 6.44. We are... Um, doing quite well in our discussion. Thank you everyone for watching. Now, uh, the hotline. Um, can the state's attorney's office direct the election judge to allow me to vote in person if the election judge says I voted by mail? No. Um, no, I'll jump in. When we say hotline, what we're talking about, there are two separate numbers. Um, the state's attorney's office does run an election day hotline um, to receive complaints about irregularities, and the phone number for that is 630-208-5328. Um, those types of things, if, if um, someone were to call and say, hey, we want you, the state's attorney's office, to tell an election judge to um, let me vote, that's not the state's attorney's office role. That's not what we do on that hotline. As we've talked about, the election judges are the ones who make those decisions on election day. Certainly, if there's an issue, we can reach out to the election judge, figure out what's going on, and provide legal assistance if necessary. Um, but in that situation, though, the election judge's decision controls. Um, do we see a lot of people using the hotline to report what they may think is something fraudulent going on? And if so, how many of those are actually, you know, case of or as a, a case of actual fraud or malice? as opposed to, you know, a simple misinterpretation by the person viewing it. So I've been with the state's attorney's office for 13 years and been manning the hotline on all election days during those 13 years. Um, to get to the first part of your question, the number of complaints we have received has gone down dramatically as um, registration laws have expanded as vote by mail has expanded, as early voting has expanded. There are a lot more opportunities for people to um, re resolve any issues that would have otherwise arisen on election day itself. Okay. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, as to the second part of your question, um, you know, I've never seen an instance where someone has, you know, alleged evidence and shown evidence of actual voter fraud. I've not seen that myself, um, which I think is, is a reflection on how seriously the staff of the clerk's office and the election judges take um, take election day and the processes leading up to it. They work incredibly hard and have got a very dedicated uh, team that just works tirelessly and um, I have the highest respect for all of them. 
one of the things that we're committed to do with the state's attorney's office is to be out there as much as possible. So on election day, we do have a group of assistant state's attorneys who will physically go to the sites when necessary to help look at things, to help advise election judges, and just to be more proactive. One of the things that I promised is that I'm gonna have more assistant state's attorneys available as we continue to go through this election process so that we do have those protections and that transparency. And we have traditionally done that. We're only expanding it as we go through this process just to make sure that the voters know that we are responsive to their needs. The, uh, the, the clerk's office has a very robust hotline as well. We have 12 to 20 employees that are employed all day on election day. Our number is 630-232-5990. And they are, our hotline is taking calls from election judges. They're taking calls from political candidates uh, and from voters. Okay. And, and that call center line is is not only to report incidents that they perceive, you know, that they question, but also ask instructions, you know, because somebody might say, gee, I'm not sure where my polling place is. They, they, they can call that and, and get, get their information. And we have the, our office logs those calls so that we see if there's a lot of questions about something, then that means we need to focus on that in the future. Right. Yeah. Get get information out. Yeah, we reviewed those call logs very carefully after each election. Okay. Wonderful. Time is six forty eight PM. Claudia Lopez, good evening. PM? Did you say AM or PM? I said PM. Oh, I thought you yeah. said AM. I'm like, how long have we been here? Oh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the last uh, last part of this evening's discussion is going to be about recounts, recounts, and I may be showing my age, but I remember a famous recount. Well, let's talk about um, can a candidate call for a recount and or can the court, who would like to take that, Mr. Frank? Sure. Um, if a candidate is within, so the math is kind of weird, but if a candidate is within 95% of the winning total, so think of a close race, um, the candidate has a right to call for a recount. There's another situation where a candidate or a group of individuals um, may petition the court and say there's some issue going on with the election and they would like to recount. Um, in those certain circumstances, usually fraud, stuff like that, a court would be inclined to maybe allow for a recount. In those two situations, then it goes over the clerk's office to start that process. Um, so the short answer is yes, it is available in both those situations. Okay, awesome. Um, and then also a dis um, during a discovery recount, which I don't think you mentioned. Didn't mention discovery so recounts. discovery recounts, I think, are more of inclined of a kind of a back-end review. Um, they can be through a petition, um, but I think more commonly done, I think more of as a routine to make sure that the, 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 the larger election um, was accurately counted in certain circumstances. I think you can probably explain a little bit more yeah. on the different types. So our office will, this, after an election, the State Board of Elections will randomly pick a certain percentage of precincts to recount. They, we don't know what they're going to be, they send it to us, and our office will do a recount of that to verify that the count from election night is the same count afterwards. Um, so the law says 5%, our office is usually done some elections we've gone up to recounting the whole election just to verify that everything was accurate. The discovery recount is when a candidate comes in, as you said, that backwards math, thank you to the election code, 
the nine, basically within five percent. So someone is in a close race and thinks, well, I want to, I want you to, re I want you to check again to make sure you count everything right. They can come in and they can, they can request, they pay <coughs> a certain uh, fee to have up to twenty-five percent of the precincts in that area done, redone through a recount. So they'll go through. Um, they get to pick the precincts of the, up to that twenty-five percent mark, and we go through and we check to make sure that count matched again. That's the discovery recount. The contest is what you're talking. All of this is governed by law about how this can happen. As the state's attorney, I don't have the authority to go in and order the county clerk's office to do a recount. I could sit here as the state's attorney and believe that something happened, but I don't have that authority. It's all derived by law. And so it's important to know that candidates have a right to do things, uh, voters have a right to do things, and we have to follow the law. And so I bring that up because that has been a question. Why can't I, as the state's attorney, not order the county clerk to do this? I don't have the authority to do so. Understood. Okay, time is 6.52. So as we begin to um, uh, wind down, I did want to stick with what we talked about a little bit earlier in the show around like the 15 minute mark, which was the, um, um, the, the trust that our um, King County folks should have in our elections. So if you guys can, uh, can we talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what you think people should know heading into the polls and how they should feel when they cast their ballot? Well, in my experience, I, uh, as I mentioned before, I was an election judge at one time. I've actually been a candidate. And uh, uh, I have very high level of confidence in our election authority. Of course, I say that as being now being an employee. But, I, uh, but even before I was an employee, I had a very high degree of confidence in the uh, accuracy and transparency of our election process. Great to know. I think one of the things is that the county clerk's office has been very willing to allow people to come in to see the facility, to see even the voting machines, and to kind of see the process, like a tour. You guys have done that before. There is so much technology that's involved, and there are some rooms that aren't even on a server because that's a protected room. Things that I'm not going to attempt to explain because I don't understand it fully. But I do know that that has been offered and people have taken them up on the ability to do so to look into it. But what you need to know is as a county, we are working together constantly. Our county IT works with the county clerk's office. We work with the county clerk's office. We do everything we can to make sure that we're all working together to have safe and secure elections because at the end of the day, we want people to know that when they go in to cast the ballot, whomever it is that wins that, is justifiably the right winner because we've done everything that we can to protect it. Excellent. Well said. Very well said. Very we well just said. End right now, because. <laughs> 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 oh, All right. Can I add one point about oh, uh, an issue about this um, recount? Uh, the ballots are are also held uh, in storage for 22 months after the end end of the election from the election day to 22 months. So if a recount issue comes up or something comes up, they're available for us to recount. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a key, I didn't know that. And, um, that's, a, that's a really helpful piece of information to know. The ballots are kept for 22 months. Every document relating to the election is kept 
yeah. for a minimum of 22 months. That time could be extended if there's the pendency of, a, of an election dispute. But the minimum under the Federal Civil Rights Act is, the Voting Rights Act section of the Federal Civil Rights Act is 22 months. It's going to be a We've trivia question. Full of paper. That's going to be a trivia question someday for some lucky Good Morning Aurora okay. um, viewer or listener. Okay, so the time is 6:55 p.m. Um, we will put the uh, the links to the Kane County Clerk's Office and also how to become an election judge in the description of this video. As always, this video will remain on our Facebook, our YouTube, and also Spotify for anyone uh, to listen to. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We will forward them to the Kane County State's Attorney's Office, and we'll also put their direct website as well. Uh, State's Attorney Mosser, as we wrap up this evening, um, what is your message to the uh, viewers and the people of Kane County? I think over the last few years, um, stemming from a variety of issues, we have become very skeptical about everything. And that skepticism has caused a lot of issues. It has caused people to be mistrustful of the government. It has caused people to come out in ways that I don't know that we've seen in recent history. All of that is justifiable. We've had a change in our community. We've had a change in almost everything. I mean, who would have thought that in 2020 our whole world would have been shut down for months because of a pandemic that happened? I love doing things like this because I think it's really bringing to the attention of the people that we are working hard to do this, but we're also willing to answer questions and that's important to do so. I encourage people within our community to come ask questions. I've had people contact me here. I've had people leave voicemail messages and then I call them up. They say, well, I didn't think you would call me back. Um, and that's even some messages that are less than polite sometimes, but I do so because that is my job for transparency. I know that the clerk's office willingly let me come in, and they don't have to do that, to let me come in to review things within their office. I encourage people to continue to ask questions, but to realize that we are answering those questions, and we are also trying to do the best we possibly can to secure safe and fair elections, because again, at the end of the day, when you cast your vote, you really have to have trust that that vote is going to be counted in the way that it should, because as an elected official, as your elected state's attorney, I don't want a single person to doubt that I am exactly where I should be because of this process. So I will continue my promise to this community that I made in several board meetings and I will continue my promise to the county clerk's office that I will be with you throughout this process, that I will provide whatever resource that I can to make sure that we have the best, the safest, and the fairest elections out there. Very well said. Thank you very much uh, for those words, State's Attorney Mosser, and thank you very, very much to our fantastic panel this evening. Uh, this is a great discussion, and on behalf of Good Morning Aurora, get registered to vote and vote. That's what you guys need to do. We tell you that all the time, and I might tell you tomorrow morning on the weather. Once again, this is a fantastic discussion about Illinois election law. March 19th is the primary. March 19th is the primary. November thank you. November 5th is the general. And November fifth is the general. Starts February 9th. Eight. 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 That's what I said. <laughs> Early voting. <laughs> Early voting is February eighth. See you guys downtown on Downer. Um, all right. Thank you very much. You guys have a fantastic evening. Thank you for watching, and we will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourself and each other. Thank, Thank you, Chris. You. Thank you.